So let's go ahead and take and turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 1, please. 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to continue our study here in the book of 1 Timothy. Remember, in this book, Paul is giving instructions to young Timothy concerning the church. He has warned them to ensure sound doctrine is being taught and preached in the church. But in the verse we're going to examine this morning, Paul starts a section that goes through verse 17, focusing on our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is to be the focus of our lives, is he not? But verses 12 through 17 remind us of the ministry, mercy, and majesty of Christ. Today we're going to be in verse 12, and our focus is going to be on three reasons to be thankful for Christ. Now there's many reasons, but there's three given in this passage And that's what we're going to examine this morning. Christian, you and I ought to be characterized by a heart of gratitude. And the Apostle Paul expresses his gratitude for being in the ministry. Remember, Paul did not think himself worthy of being in the ministry. He expresses that in verse 13. But realized it was Christ who placed him there. So as Paul expresses his gratefulness, he shares these three reasons why he's thankful for Christ that we're going to explore today. We're going to examine verse 12, but to get the full sentence, we'll look at verse 12 and 13. So if you're physically able, if you please stand with me and honor the reading of God's word as we read 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Paul writes, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for he hath counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. So the three reasons why we should be thankful for Christ from this passage, I want to examine this morning. Firstly, Christ strengthens us for the work. Christ strengthens us for the work. Secondly, Christ studies our character. Christ studies our character. I'll explain these as we go through. Then thirdly, Christ sets in the ministry. So he strengthens for the work, studies our character, and sets in the ministry. You and I, Christian, need to have a heart of gratitude. Let us look to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray as we look at these three reasons for which we should be thankful for Christ. Lord, again, this is not an exhaustive list, but may we be thankful for these aspects of our dear Savior. Again, Lord, if there's one who does not know Christ as Savior, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. And may all this done bring glory to your holy name. Speak to our hearts. Help us to take the word and not just be hearers, but doers of the word and apply what we hear today. And we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The first reason we ought to be thankful is that Christ strengthens for the work. You say, what do you mean by that? Let's start the verse again in verse 12. He says, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord. Again, let's look at the part about being thankful. Our lives should be characterized by thankfulness. We need to focus on the attributes of God and praise him with thanksgiving. Psalm 100 verse 4 tells us, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Again, as we studied in the earlier service, no matter the circumstances in life, Christian, you and I can have true joy. You and I can have true thanksgiving because of who God is and what God has done. And when I think of the character of God and think of who God is, I can always be thankful. 
Sometimes when I pray, I feel like I'm just coming to God with my shopping list again of things that I desire to see happen. And I need to be reminded, how about stopping and just saying, thank you, Lord, for all the things you've done. But we can be thankful for God's peace and his direction. Colossians 3.15, And let the peace of God roll in your hearts, to the which also you're called in one body, and be ye thankful. Again, the characteristic of a Christian should be thanksgiving. You know, how long did you spend with your children? Now say thank you, Johnny. You know, you're trying to teach them good manners to be thankful. But let me ask you a question. How often are we thankful? When somebody does something nice for you, do you stop and say thank you? We should always be thanking. Because ingratitude leads to destruction. I still am amazed at the words of Romans 1.21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination. Their foolish heart was darkened. And then as you read the rest of that passage, you see the digression and how God gives them over to a reprobate mind. But it starts way back when they knew God. They didn't recognize him as God. Neither were thankful. You understand how important Thanksgiving is in our lives? So Christian, let's be thankful in all things. Now let's move on to the part about Christ strengthening us for the work. Paul says then, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me. Our strength is not our own. It says enable. The idea of strength and empower or endue with strength. Because, Christian, we need to remember our flesh is weak. Our flesh is weak. Jesus, told, uh, Jesus said in Matthew 26, 41, Watch and pray the enter not in temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we need to be careful we're not trying to serve God in the power of the flesh because we will fail if we try to serve God in the power of the flesh. But what we do must be in the power of the spirit and not in the power of the flesh. Now you know these verses, so when I stop, you all say the next word. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. How many? All. all. Now, the converse of that, John 15, 5, I am the vine, ye the branches. He that abideth me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do? Nothing. With Christ we can do? Nothing. Without Christ we can do? Nothing. All right, now let that sink in. Then why do we try to serve God in the arm of the flesh? We're going to fail. We know because without him we can do, but through him we can do. It really is that simple, is it not? Our sufficiency is Christ. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything is of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. The word sufficiency there has the idea of capability or capacity. So again, we need to stop trusting in the flesh and realize through Christ I can do all things. Without him, I can do nothing. Oh, I got this. It's okay. You know, even when we come and worship God in church, we need to be filled with the Spirit. As I'm preaching the Word, I need to be filled with the Spirit. As we go throughout our day and go to work, we need to be doing it as unto Christ. Does, it not, does not the word of God command us to do our work as unto Christ? Well, how are we going to do that? In the arm of the flesh? No, because we, we can do nothing 
in the flesh. Without him, we can do nothing, but through him, we can do all things. So if you're going to do your work as unto Christ, you need the power of God on you to be able to do that work. You understand all means all. Now, I'm emphasizing this, Christian, because we somehow compartmentalize our spiritual life and then the rest of our life. Our spiritual life is the rest of our life. And it needs to influence every area of our lives. And so when, we, when Paul is being thankful to Christ for his strength, he's realizing Paul can do nothing. The only things that are happening is because Jesus Christ is working in the life of Paul. Now, when we talk about the Apostle Paul, we think of this great, magnificent Christian who served God, and he was a great, greatly used of God. But the only reason why is because Paul realized in Paul there is no good thing. The only power he had is the power of Jesus Christ. No wonder he stops and says to young Timothy, I thank Jesus Christ who hath enabled me. It's Christ living in us. How do we have that power? Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I am crucified. Paul is dead. It's Jesus Christ living in me. Now, how do we do that, folks? Ephesians 5.18, and be not drunk with wine, where is an excess, but be filled with the Spirit. You and I need to submit to the Holy Spirit of God, and the word filled there has the idea of controlled. The Holy Spirit of God needs to control every aspect of your life. When we think about the power of the Holy Ghost working in us, the power of Christ living in us, because it is saying the same thing, is it not? Did Jesus not say, I'm going to send another comforter, another of the same kind? So the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in us, Christ in us. You do realize we're saying the same thing, right? Okay? Because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are three persons, but one God. Don't ask me to ever explain the Trinity because I've come to the conclusion I can't. Maybe when I get to heaven, I'll fully understand it, but I accept it by faith because that's what God taught. Acts 1.8, but ye shall receive power. The word power there is the Greek word dunamis, the same word from which we get uh, derived the word dynamite. Now, when dynamite was discovered, it was the most powerful explosive at the time. Okay, so when they wanted to explain the power of this kaboom, they called it dynamite after dunamis, the Greek word for power, that explosive power, if you will, the power that can move things, the power that acts. Okay, so don't think dynamite today. Think atomic bomb, if you will. Okay, so, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and in the uttermost part of the earth. So often I hear, Pastor, I can't witness to somebody. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I can't witness. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. You're right. In the flesh, you cannot witness. This is why it's important we understand that we receive power of the Holy Ghost who will enable us and give us the words to say as we share the gospel with others. Right. Romans 15, verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. 
Anything we do, Christian, needs to be through the power of the Holy Ghost. We cannot live the Christian life apart from the power of God. That's something to be thankful for, isn't it? And Paul says, I'm thankful that Christ strengthens for the work. Number two, Paul says then in verse 12, for he hath counted me faithful. Christ studies our character. Now, some of you may say, well, I don't know if I should be thankful for that or not. Well, if you and I are living with the power of the Holy Ghost and we're thankful for the power that he gives and we're living for him, then we can be thankful for number two, that he studies our character. You see, men tend to look on the outside. They look for greatness, popularity, wealth, qualifications, but rarely focus on character. You wonder why our nation is in the predicament it's in because people stand in front of you and promise you the world and instead of looking at their character, you believe their empty promises and then they get, up, they get elected into positions and then they never keep the promises that they never kept the planned on keeping in the first place because they never had character. What we need is character, not vain promises. And we need to start looking at character. And you say, well, none of the candidates have character. Then how about you run? But Christian, you and I should be men and women of character. The world does not look at character. And by the way, this is nothing new. As a matter of fact, what was one of the great qualifications of King Saul? He's head and shoulders above everybody else. Well, that's a great qualification. But let me tell you, it still happens today. And I'm telling you, people, you know, oh, that was a firm handshake. I think I'll vote for you. Really? You almost want to say, please don't. How about look something a little deeper than that? 1 Samuel 9, 2 and he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and a goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel any goodlier person than he, for from his shoulders and upwards, he was higher than any other people. So here's our qualification of King Saul. He's a great looking guy and he's nice and tall, tall, dark, and handsome. What kind of king did Saul end up being? Pretty worthless, a disappointment, coward. You think the people would have learned. But may I say, even the prophet Samuel, after God rejects Saul and says, I want you to go to the house of Jesse. I want you to get this now, folks. If you want to turn there, we're going to be looking in 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now, they've already picked Saul because he's head and shoulders above everybody else. And he's tall, dark, and handsome. He's a great-looking guy. And that was what we thought was going to make a great king, but he turned out to be lousy. And so now God's rejected him, and God has sent Saul, uh, Samuel to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king. And let's look at what our good prophet Samuel does when he gets to the house of Jesse. Verse 6 in 1 Samuel 16, verse 6, And it came to pass, when they were come... That, looked on, that he looked on Eliab. Okay, so he's come to the house, and now he's looking at Jesse's sons, and Eliab is the oldest son, and this is, when he sees Eliab, he says, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. So when Samuel sees Eliab, the oldest of Jesse. He sees again 
tall, dark, and handsome and says, well, surely this is the guy. Because, you know, we really are slow learners. And so here's Samuel again, tall, dark, and handsome. And God steps in this time and says, no, Samuel, stop looking on the outside. I see the heart. This is not the one. And then he goes through all the sons, and then they have to even go, Jesse, do you have any other sons? Because God's not choosing any one of these. Oh, yeah, we have one left. He's, he's just a little ruddy fellow. He's out there watching the sheep. It's just David. But we don't think it's David, because who would ever think that the little runt was, was going to be the king? But God knew something about David that was not true of any of his brothers, and that was David was a man of character, and God was more concerned about the character of the next king than he was the appearance of the next king. How about we start getting more concerned about the character and not the appearance? I told you, it's nothing new. It's right there in Scripture. It's the way mankind is. So God is looking for faithfulness. Again, God's not concerned about greatness, popularity, wealth, and all these other things. He concer he's concerned about faithfulness. Going back to our passage, for that he counted me faithful. The word counted has the idea of considered or deemed, account or think. John Phillips put it this way. He said, pondering or considering carefully a cause of action and taking into account the various issues at stake. So when God examined the Paul, he says, this man is truly faithful. God examined his character and said, he is a faithful man. The word faithful has the idea of being reliable or trustworthy. Are we reliable and trustworthy? You know, it's sad to me that there's some people I know, if I ask them to do a certain task, that I'll have to follow up with them 300 times because... They're not reliable and trustworthy. But I am thankful there are other people, if I ask them to do a task, I know it's done because they are faithful, they're reliable, they're trustworthy. Paul was the kind of man who you could count on to get it done. Now, I understand in today's society, because we have called evil good and good evil, if you are a faithful person at work, the boss looks at you and says, oh, they're one that gets it done, and I have five employees over here that do nothing, so I'm going to give all their work to the one who does get it done. I understand that that doesn't seem fair, but welcome to life. Unfortunately, life is not fair, but don't quit being faithful because everybody else is not. Because it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing, you're going to give an account to God for your faithfulness, and that is what God is accounting faithfulness. Again, he's not looking at your popularity, your social status, your wealth, your good looks, your bad looks, whatever. He doesn't care. That's not what's important. What is important is, are you faithful? Are you faithful to what he has given you to do? And what you've been given to do might be little, it might be much, but whatever it is, be faithful with what God has entrusted in your hand. Are you faithful? David, whom we already examined, was a man who was faithful, was he not? Numbers 12, 7 says of Moses, My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all my house. Galatians 3, 9 says, So then they which be of faith and blessed with faithful Abraham. 
If God were to examine your life, would he say there's a faithful individual? Are you faithful at home? Are you faithful in providing men for your home? Are you faithful in having eyes only for your wife? Are you faithful to your local church? Are you faithful to the services of your local church? Faithful in giving to your local church? You know, there are many, not, but there, there are some who maybe attend one or two services. Let me ask. You realize every service we have is different, right? And every service is for a purpose. Would you consider that truly faithful? Are you faithful in reading the Word of God and studying His Word daily? Are you faithful in prayer? Are you faithful in sharing the gospel with others? See, God requires faithfulness. 1 Corinthians 4.2, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now, a steward is a manager of another's household. You understand everything you have is just borrowed from God, right? Everything we have belongs to Him. So what I have, I am just a steward of his property, right? My home, my car, my, my life is his. I have no control over it. My health, my, my wife, this church, your job. I am just a steward of what God has placed in my hands. And he says, now you, steward, I require one thing of you. Be faithful. Be faithful. Sounds very simple, doesn't it? But it's not always easy to live, is it? But Paul says, I am thankful to Jesus Christ that he counted me. When he did his accounting, he looked at me and said, there's a faithful one. Now you understand why I say Paul says you can be thankful that God examines our character because when he looked at Paul, he said, Paul, you're faithful. Is that not the greatest compliment we could hear from him? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because when we have done all that we're commanded to do, we should say we are just but unprofitable servants. I'm just doing what God asked me to do. I'm just a steward of his things, and I'm trying to take good care of what is not mine, but his. And Paul says, I'm thankful. Jesus looked at the apostle Paul and said, you're faithful. Now, when we get into next week's verse, that's pretty amazing because Paul knows who he is. He says, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor of the church. But Jesus Christ said, Paul, you're faithful. We can't live in our past, folks. We can't dwell back there because it's gone. It's forgiven. You can't change the past, but you can live today and every day forward faithful to Jesus Christ. Will God count you faithful? Proverbs 20, verse 6. Most men will proclaim every one his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. So the Apostle Paul says, I'm thankful, first of all, Christ strengthens for the work. Secondly, Christ studies our character. But then lastly, Paul says, I'm thankful that Christ sets in the ministry. The last of the verse is putting me into the ministry. Do you believe God can and will place you where he wants you to serve if you're completely surrendered to him? I know some of you in this room are not where you thought you would be at your age 
but you're where God wants you to be because you surrendered to God and God placed you where he wants you to serve him. So often, young people concerned about what does God have for me in the future? And I get that. I do. And we should be sensitive to what does God have for me to do? But can we trust God to place us in the ministry that he has for us? Can we trust God to put us where he knows we can serve best? Well, if we are surrendered to the power of God and he's working in us and through us and he wants what's best for us and he knows what's best for us, is, it not going, is he not going to place us where he wants us to serve? I promise you the Apostle Paul, if he had the choosing, would have not chosen to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul had a great burden for his people, the Jews. He makes that abundantly clear throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament, does he not? saying that I would be willing to be accursed if they could go to heaven. You know what the Apostle Paul is saying in that verse? He says, I would willing to give up my salvation and burn in the fires of hell if the Jews could be saved. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever had that kind of passion for souls? When have I ever had that kind of passion for souls? Paul's desire was to reach the Jews. Now, he did have opportunity to preach to Jews, but you know what God's ministry for him was? The apostle to the Gentiles. And I'm thankful that Paul was obedient and submitted to the will of God and was the apostle to the Gentiles because it is through the ministry of the apostle Paul that generations later, you and I heard the gospel. Amen? Amen. So the word pudding, putting me in the gospel, the word pudding has the idea to set or to place. So Christ placed him in the ministry. Now, let's think about that word. The Greek word diakonos is the same Greek word from which we get the word deacon. You do realize the word deacon has the idea of one who ministers tables, one who's serving. It is not some highfalutin position. It is the position of servant. I, as a pastor, sometimes people will say a minister. I'm okay with that title because minister means servant. And I am to be a servant of Christ and a servant of the people. We used to call our public officials, our elected officials, public servants. Now they're called leaders. They are not leaders. They are public servants. They work for you and I. They are servants. God has a definite place of service for you. As we said, the Apostle Paul to the Apostle to the Gentiles, my place of service is here at Freedom Baptist Church. What is your place? Where's God placed you? Some, it may be a job on base. Well, that's probably about 80% of our congregation. Uh, some, it may be working somewhere else. Some, it may be at home. Some, wherever God has placed you, that is the area of service that he wants you to serve. And you know, one of the things that troubles me greatly is in our society, we have taken one of the greatest positions of service and we have belittled it to where women think it's not a good position anymore. And that is mama at home. 
But may I say, it's one of the greatest positions of service. And we need more mamas at home, being true servants at home, and setting a godly example at home. And I promise you, our society wouldn't have half the troubles it has now if we had godly mamas at home more concerned about rearing the children than, more, than going out and making a career and a name for herself. Now, I understand in the society in which we live, it is extremely difficult to live off of one, one income household. And I understand some ladies do have to go out and work, but it should be as a necessity and not as a desire to, I want my career, my prestige, my this, my that. But men, if we would show our wife the love that we're commanded to, and we would do our best to make sure that she's secure at home and she understands how great a position it is and how rearing the children is an extremely important part of her life, maybe we could overcome what she's being bombarded with all the time by the world. The greatest position in life is that of a servant. The greatest position, especially being the servant of the Lord. Mark 9, 33 through 35. <coughs> and he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that you disputed among yourselves, by the way? But they held their peace. For, by the way, they disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same should be last of all and servant of all. Did not this happen on several different occasions throughout Jesus' ministry, his disciples, the ones that are supposed to be following him, the ones closest to him, sit there and they start disputing among themselves, who's going to be greatest? And you even have two brothers at one point. One if one of us gets to sit on his right hand and the other on the left. And, ooh, wow, we're going to have these great positions because, you know, they're just like us, so full of pride that all they think about is themselves. And Jesus has to remind them numerous times, if you want to be great, learn to serve. You want to be great, Learn to serve. I've heard this said since I was a child. You cannot be a great leader until you first learn how to be a great servant. I believe that's scriptural, don't you? Because God can't use us till we learn. I'm just a steward of what he's given me. It's his anyhow. I can't do anything by my own power. It has to be his power. Therefore, I must just serve him, serve him well, and leave the results up to him. If you see yourself as anything other than a servant, you think too highly of yourself. You say, well, that's a harsh statement. But I believe it's a biblical statement. Because Jesus Christ, God incarnate, came to serve. And he says, you call me Lord and Master, and that's rightfully so, because I am. But he says, I came to serve. And if I came to serve then you should serve. As a matter of fact, we'll look at that passage here in just a moment. <clears throat> but we need to learn to serve as Christ served. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. 
and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Do we have that mind of Christ that sees ourselves as a servant And wherever Christ places us to serve, we're going to be thankful serving there. Hold your place here again in 1 Timothy, and let's go back to John chapter 13. The Gospel of John and the 13th chapter. John 13, starting at verse 1. John writes, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world and the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things in his hand, and he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper, laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself. After that he poureth water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. Ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore he said, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done unto you? Let me stop here for a moment. I want you to think about this. As they're sitting here, none of the disciples, as they came into this room, said, hey, as everybody comes in, I'll be the guy that washes everybody's feet. Now understand, they had open sandals, and your feet would get dirty walking around on dusty roads. They didn't have nice roads like we have. didn't have nice closed shoes like we have. So the custom was, when you come into the house, a servant of the house would wash your feet. There was no servant there. None of the disciples took it upon themselves to say, I'll be the servant today and I'll wash everybody's feet. So when supper is over, Jesus now, I want you to think about this. He takes off his outer garment and he lays it aside. They're all watching just as you are now. Lays aside his garment. He takes a towel and he girds himself with the towel. So imagine I put a towel around me. Now, As I'm doing this, if you are used to the custom, what do you think I'm about to do? Now he goes and he pours the water into a basin. And at no point does any disciple say, no, Lord, I should be doing this. And now he comes one by one and he starts washing their feet. I am so thankful that is not truly a church ordinance, aren't you? And then he starts washing their feet. And he comes by Peter By the way, that was my good excuse to get rid of my coat. Did you like that? (laughs) He comes by Peter and Peter says, 
no, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And of course, they had this exchange where Jesus explains to him that I need to wash your feet. And then he goes, okay, well, I'll wash my hands and my head. No, you don't need to be all washed, just your feet. Again, Peter, so concerned about Jesus washing his feet, but not volunteering to do so. Now he finishes up and he takes the basin, puts it back, takes the towel off, puts his garments back on, and now he's going to explain what he just did to him. Now, they know what he just did, but they don't understand what he just did. Does that make sense? So he's going to explain it to them. That's where we're going to pick back up here. Verse 13. Ye call me master and Lord, and ye say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, this is the same guys that have been arguing about what, who's going to be greatest. And he's saying, look, if you are going to follow my example, I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, therefore humble yourselves and serve one another, is what he's saying. For I have given you an example that ye should do also as I have done to you. Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he sent that is greater than he that sent him. If there is a task in, in serving Christ that you think you're too good for, then you're putting yourself above the master who was willing to do the lowliest task of washing feet. Do you follow what I'm saying? I'll be honest with you, folks. I'd rather scrub a toilet than wash somebody else's feet. I think both are bad, but... Now, once you get verse 17, if ye know these things, happy are ye if you do them. The world is always talking about, do what makes you happy. Follow your heart and you'll be happy. Well, if that's what makes you happy and people treat God as though God's purpose is for us to be happy. And so let's all just be happy. Here he says, if you know these things, what? He's the master. He is Lord. He served us. Therefore, we are to serve one another. Happy are ye if ye do them. You want to be happy in life? Start serving. You want to... I'm being serious, folks. The reason why we have so many of the problems we have in our society is because we're so consumed with self and not others. But if we start getting out of ourselves and thinking about others and serving others, all of a sudden our problems seem so small and so bearable when we see what others are going through. But when you learn to serve others, I promise you it brings a joy that I cannot explain to you. But what Jesus said is true. Happy are ye if ye do them. You start serving others and there is a joy in serving Christ. Now, are there times people are frustrating? Yes. Ministry be wonderful if it wasn't for the people. But ministry is the people. Okay, there are days I honestly have felt that. Ministry would be wonderful if it wasn't for the people, but then I have to laugh and chuckle and say that's dumb because ministry is people. And then I have to examine myself and say, is it really them or is it my pride that thinks I deserve better? I bet you you know what the answer is usually. Have we learned to truly serve Christ? Because as we serve Christ, we will be 
serving others? Am I willing to humble myself and say, I'll scrub the toilets this week? Am I willing to humble myself and say, Christ, whatever you have for me, I'm willing to do. I'm willing to do without all the comforts of this world. I'm willing to do without all the things that this world has to offer in order to serve you and see souls come to know you as Lord and Savior. Lord, I'm willing to give up my career so that I can rear children that will grow up and love and serve you. Lord, I'm willing to give up my time so that I can give and be faithful to every service of the church. Lord, I'm willing to set aside my desires for your desires. Lord, I'm willing to serve no matter what the capacity because he was willing to serve and was obedient even unto the death of the cross. And so as he tells his disciples, I have set an example for you, then Christian, I think it's fair you and I evaluate our lives and say, then am I following the example that my Lord and Master has set? The Apostle Paul could say, I'm thankful Jesus Christ has set me in the ministry. Because Paul was thankful, first of all, that it's Christ who endued him with the power to serve. And then it's Jesus Christ who not only gave him the power to serve and the strength to serve, but who examined his character and found Paul not worthy, but faithful. And then Paul was able to say, I'm thankful it was Christ who placed me in the ministry. If you're not satisfied where God has you, then there's one of two reasons. Either number one, you don't realize it's the strength of God who's given you the ability to serve, and he's examined your character, and he's put you where he knows your character will fit, or you're not where God wants you to be. That could be the only two explanations. If you're not where God wants you to be, then you need to get there. If you are where God wants you to be, then you should be thankful for where you're serving because it's God who's enabled you to do so. He's the one that gives you the power to do so. And he's the one that knows your character, that you're fit to do what he's called you to do. Because again, he's the master. I'm the steward. I'm the servant. I give account to him. And you know the beauty of this? God has a plan for each of us and we are accountable for ourselves. So, the ministry God has for John is different than the ministry God has for Ed, which is different than the ministry God has for Mike, which is different than the ministry God has for Chris. But John is not responsible for Chris's ministry, and Chris is not responsible for Mike's, and Mike's is not responsible for Ed's. You follow what I'm saying? Let's realize we are all going to stand before the Lord and Master someday and give an account of our lives, the ministry that he's called me to. Did I serve in his power? Was I serving where I ought to be? And was I found faithful where he placed me? Are you thankful for these things today? If not, then Christian, maybe we need to examine our hearts and lives 
and see why I'm not thankful. That Christ strengthens for the work, he studies our character, and sets in the ministry. Let's bow for a word of prayer.